Good morning, everyone. I'm Barbara Ridpath, the director of St. Paul's Institute. It's a real pleasure to welcome you here this morning to this Clergy Learning Day on God and the Moneylenders, Championing Financial Justice. We've assembled an extremely knowledgeable group for you, all of whom have a lot to say, so I'm not going to say very much. And For those of you who know me, that's rare. I would only like to point out that we have tried to listen to your comments from other such days, so we've shortened the agenda and tightened it a bit, and we stop after lunch, uh, so you have the rest of your afternoon free. We also want to make the day as interactive as possible, so do please ask questions. We will end with lunch that gives us time for both fellowship and discussion, and I think some of our colleagues are going to work towards a guided discussion and some conclusions around today's topic. But we'd also like feedback on what you think of the day so that we can do these better for you in the future. So if there are topics you'd like us to cover or ways of interaction you'd prefer, please let us know or me know or drop me an email or give us a call. Also, today's speakers are going to be filmed, but the discussions and questions and answers will not be. The reason for the filming is that Church House is putting up a continuing education site, which I hope you will all welcome, and these videos will help your colleagues who can't be present today learn and benefit from what we are learning. We're consciously not filming the Q&A so that everybody can speak as openly as possible. Our first session this morning will deal with the practicalities of working for financial justice. We are delighted to have David Barkley of the Church Credit Champions Network and the Center for Theology and Community, Rosina St. James from Just Money, and Chair of the Archbishop's Task Group, Sir Hector Sets. It's a real pleasure to introduce Sir Hector as our paths have crossed several times. We first met when he was at the FSA and I was working in the city. As many of you will know, Hector has had an illustrious career as an investment banker, starting at Phillips and Drew, which became UBS, and then to Donaldson Lufkin Genret, which became CSFB. He then went on to become a regulator at the Financial Services Authority, something which is sometimes called a poacher-turned-gamekeeper role, a few years later becoming chief executive, and he led the FSA through the financial crisis of 2007-8 and beyond. The FSA has recently split into the Prudential Regulatory Authority under the Bank of England and the Financial Conduct Authority in the old premises of the FSA, with Hector stepping down in 2012. I'm wondering if anyone sees a trend among the institutions Hector joins. Perhaps he will tell us if we should expect a merger or a schism in the church as a result of his now putting his time and talents to the extremely good use of the Archbishop's task group. Please join me in welcoming Sir Hector. Thank you, Barbara, for those kind words and in answer to your question. Hopefully not, but you never know. Uh, so now to the purpose of the day, which is to talk to you, from at least from my perspective, about what the Archbishop's Task Group is doing and why it's doing it. Really give you an update on progress to date. As Barbara has also said, this is meant to be, this is intended to be a teaching interactive session, so I'm intending to speak pretty briefly and then give the floor to you to ask questions. I think it's much more valuable to hear the questions that you have in your mind rather than have me going through material that hopefully uh, quite a bit of it you will have already absorbed through the website, through the general communication that's already uh, taken place. 
But, but a few words, nevertheless, is, is good, I think, just to uh, get us going, get us started. So, just remind you, first of all, what is the purpose, what is the mission of the Archbishop's Task Group? Uh, it, it is clearly set out to promote responsible credit and savings. The key word there is promote. We're not trying to solve the financial capability problems of this country or issues in this country. We are trying to make a contribution towards improving the situation using the church's skills, capabilities uh, to do that. Maybe the phrase promoting responsible credit and savings is a little bit dry. I think the other way of looking at it in simple terms is helping people manage their money better. And then more generally, I would say, we're looking to help create a fairer financial system. And within that fairly wide and embracing goal, we are particularly focused on seeking to encourage the, the financial system to serve whole communities. I think the Archbishop has already said in a number of fora that he would like to see this mission at the heart of the church's overall mission and there are a lot of very good reasons for that. There is undoubtedly a set of theological reasons but uh, I don't think I'm qualified to advance that argument and I know uh, that is on the agenda for later. Suffice to say I'm sure that that argument will be compelling but in addition to that compelling argument I think is the benefit that action in this area will bring to society as a whole. From my point of view, I think I would characterise that benefit under two headings. Firstly, and possibly the most prominent, is undoubtedly the alleviation of financial distress. It's very clear that financial distress is one of the principal causes of social detriment in this country. There are a set of statistics, those of you who maybe heard me speak before will be aware of them, they absolutely demonstrate the impact that financial distress has on social detriment. The most obvious being something, something of the order of 7 million people using high cost credit providers, 1 million payday loans being taken out each month, so I think that number is slightly decreasing following recent regulatory action. And very strikingly, somewhere of the order of 1.5 million without any bank account facilities. But as I've said before when I've spoken on this topic, for me it's not so much the macroeconomic uh, data that stands out, so it, it's, it is stark as I've just uh, sought to illuminate, it's also the impact that financial distress has on the individual at the personal level. Again, there are a wealth of statistics which demonstrate this. The ones I tend to use are some of the data that comes from Christian Against Poverty, where they've surveyed their clients and come up with a really horrific list of issues which have stemmed from financial distress. For example, around 36% of their clients have attempted suicide. Somewhere around a quarter have seen their primary relationship break down, and somewhere around 40% are often on medication stemming from their financial issues. So the personal distress caused here uh, is immense. I think you know, those comments 
more than sufficient, I hope, to galvanise us all into action and see the importance of raising this to the highest level uh, within the Church's mission agenda. So where, where is the task group in uh, seeking to set out the practical suggestions as to how we would go about that? Well, I think we've made good progress. Of course, there's an awful lot of work still to do, but we have, I think, made good progress in articulating what we think should be the principal areas of focus uh, for the church. What we now have to do, of course, is turn that articulation into action, which is where you come in. So we've said before that we're working with four work streams, two of which are well articulated and undoubtedly concern you today. The first I would refer to is the education work stream. Long term, raising financial capability in this country, raising people's understanding as to how to manage their financial affairs is a multi-generational task. It will not be achieved in one generation. Uh, and the only way to tackle a multi-generational task is through education uh, of children. And what we've identified is, yes, there is a lot going on in the secondary sector. You'll be aware uh, that there is an obligation in the national curriculum now uh, to provide some form of financial education. But when you look in the primary school sector, you can see that the provision of financial education is still extremely patchy. It's always difficult to get at statistics in such a diversified area, but probably less than a third of primary schools, around 30% probably, of primary schools are providing some sort of financial education. Uh, some of that will be quite patchy. And here, of course, the church has a significant advantage. It has a major footprint, to use that trendy phrase, in the country with one in four uh, pupils in England going to a church primary school. So we have focused on this and we pursued the philosophy we adopted from the beginning, which is not to reinvent the wheel, but to go out and find good practice in the country and seek to leverage that across the rest of the country. And we can see that placing savings clubs into schools along with an educational component and along with an emphasis on working with the whole community is very, very effective. It's experiential learning, the kids enjoy it, the school is excited by it, the parents are excited by it. It brings great benefits. So we are extremely keen to take the good examples of that that already exist uh, and encourage all church primary schools to adopt the savings club approach and maybe hopefully, hopefully in the longer term indeed, uh, all primary schools in this country. Uh, we do need finance for that project. Uh, we are currently uh, in talks with government and in talks with various private sector bodies with the hope we can find finance to run the pilot, which initially will be about 100 schools. Uh, we're optimistic, but uh, not yet uh, settled at that point, but, but optimistic. And one of the key elements of this, of course, would be encouraging the church to work with the primary schools and provide volunteers to support the Savings Club initiative, which I think will be important given how stretched, of course, uh, teachers are. Teachers want to keep control of the teaching component, but I'm sure they would welcome help in the operation of the Savings Club. So that's the first strand. The second strand, and probably the most important for the audience today, is the Credit Champions Initiative. David is going to be talking in more detail on that, so I don't want to uh, steal his thunder. Sufficient to say that I think you understand the core concept already, I assume you do, which is to galvanise groups of volunteers in larger churches supported by the clergy, and without the clergy's support it's not going to work, uh, to provide a centre of excellence in those churches which drives forward the agenda in terms of raising people's awareness and ability to manage their financial affairs better. 
Probably the three key strands that we would see the credit champions focusing on initially are as follows. Firstly, and the one that stems from the Archbishop's comments about Bonga and high-cost credit providers, is working with the local community finance organisation to help it grow and develop through encouraging volunteers to participate, encouraging congregation to save and borrow, making physical facilities available, uh, and generally, as I say, working with that community finance organisation to help it grow. Uh, that is the that is the first and probably the core strand. The second strand is providing a sort of triage capability in respect of debt advice for those who are already in financial distress. We're not looking for the church to duplicate the excellent work that already exists in, in many areas with many debt advice charities. What we're looking for is making the church a safe place to come to work out how to get that help. And there's lots of evidence that the, one of the barriers to helping people is just a lack of understanding as to where to go. And hopefully the church can provide a safe place for everybody to come uh, to receive that help. So that's the second strand. And then the third strand would be working with the educational agenda uh, once it begins to roll out across the country that I've just, uh, just been talking about. Those are the two core initiatives, i.e. education, and the church community support. Certainly the second one, just to make clear, is something I see kind of evolving. We can see the three primary focus at the beginning, but over time, over years, over hopefully generations, then clearly that concept will evolve, but we need a clear starting point and, and that will be as laid out. There's a couple of other strands in our work, uh, more briefly on that. We're still looking at an interesting question under the topic of direct service provision. What do I mean by that? I don't mean the church becoming a community bank or indeed a uh, short-term credit provider. I don't mean it becoming a competitor in that sense uh, uh, in, in the financial services area. But there is a community there, a large community, and modern technology possibly gives a way whereby that community could help itself more than it currently does, particularly in the area of small businesses. So we're looking to see whether some form of peer-to-peer -peer lending, crowdfunding proposition maybe could be endorsed and supported by the church network, not operated by it. We're not looking to turn you into bankers, just to be clear, uh, or technologists, but uh, operated uh, by an outsider, but sponsored by the church. Difficult question, lots of issues around that. Uh, we're just looking at it as a question and no doubt there will be a lot of debate to be had once we've formulated whether it is even a possibility. And then the final strand is what we call the influencing. The church has a voice, the church is listened to. Uh, we want to join the debate, we want to encourage uh, government and encourage uh, society as a whole to build up and develop effective community finance, providing ethical ethical. Uh, services to the community and so wherever possible where we see a good idea or have a good idea we will put our voice behind it uh, on our website at the moment for example an idea that I think originated well originated in many areas but is certainly heavily sponsored by Citizens UK which is the creation of a community fund potentially maybe using some of the some of the uh, receipts that the government's recently received from the banks for their misdemeanors uh, so we are very keen on that idea and, and encouraging uh, congregations to get behind that and sign up on petitions and, and speak out. Uh, I think there are a number of other policy areas where the church uh, certainly sees value and will be putting 
uh, its voice behind them in due course. So that's the fourth strand, which is obviously not quite so directly relevant uh, to the group here today. So I think we're making good progress. We've articulated what we want to do. I think we can see the way forward. What we need is people to do it. We need the enthusiasm of the church community behind it. We need the feedback from the church community to see how to evolve, tighten up and refine those ideas. Uh, and that's obviously what this event here today is part of. Just finally, just to say, we obviously have now got, as hopefully you all know, an up and running website under the strap line to your credit. I think that's incredibly important. In, it, it is there to provide information, provide encouragement, and to empower everybody who wants to get involved uh, with, with the means to get involved, show people how to get involved. Uh, and the more we can encourage people to access and use that website, the better. Over time, you would actually hope it to be a banner under which any Christian-based organisation which is interested in taking forward the agenda of a fairer financial system uh, would, would operate and see it as a, a focal point of, of, of that collective endeavour. So I think that's where I, I would like to conclude with one possible additional point, or one additional point which I add at the end as a bit of a addendum, but actually as a way of emphasising its importance. I've hopefully demonstrated to you the importance of helping people in relation to their ability to manage their financial affairs and demonstrated the importance of the church engaging with the question of creating a fairer financial system. But I would also just like to emphasise that by doing this, I believe the church is definitely strengthening its position in community. Of course, the church is already in community, uh, but what can always do more in life, and I think here is an opportunity to again be seen to be very relevant to everybody, helping everybody, and building that relationship between church, school, and community finance organisation three pillars in my view of what what makes up a successful nourishing uh, community which looks after all its members uh, wh wh wherever they come from so hopefully that uh, gives you a little bit of an intro and a little bit of an update uh, very happy to uh, take questions good morning so my name is David Barclay and if you're wondering why I'm interested in any of this topic the clue is in the name <laughs> can ask me about my family history later on if you like. Um, I work for an organisation called the Centre for Theology and Community. We are a charity that's based in East London, in Shadwell, and we exist to help churches to engage with their communities. Um, the area that I focus on in particular is this one of money and credit and debt. So I'm going to be speaking um, about a few things, mainly focusing on this uh, Church Credit Champions Network, which, as Sir Hector has mentioned, is one of the four uh, work streams of the Archbishop's task group. And probably the easiest project for all of you to think about how, how your church might like to engage with this, uh, with this issue. So I'm going to give you a bit of a background as to where this has all come from, how it fits within uh, CTC and our history and ethos, explain a bit about why we've taken the particular approach that we have, and then talk about practically how does it operate, what does it look like for a church to engage with the network, and it's great to have representatives from a number of different churches uh, who are already involved, so they can probably tell you more than I can about what it's like for a church to engage with this. 
And then finally, what are the, where's it all going? What's the, what's, the, what's the plans for the future? And how might you like to engage in it? So where did this all come from? Where did it start? Well, here really is the answer, or more to the point, just outside. So when the Occupy uh, camp happened, I think a number of people reflected on the fact that it was interesting that when, uh, as a society, we really wanted to have a conversation about inequality and economic justice, the location that was chosen was outside a church. And uh, although obviously there's lots that could be said about exactly how that encounter ended up playing out, I think that is an interesting point, and it's one that CTC uh, picked up, although this was before I uh, joined the team. And so Angus, uh, our director, and others went down to the, to the Occupy camp and spoke with both the Occupy um, uh, protesters and people in the cathedral. And one of the things that came out of that was, you might remember, that Occupy had a very distinctive style of um, public meeting. And they were very keen on these public meetings where everybody could contribute, everybody had a kind of equal voice on some of these questions, these problems that we were facing. And the challenge really that they posed was what would it look like for churches, not just in St Paul's Cathedral, but across the country, to be having that kind of conversation? And we kind of took that away and thought about it. I thought, well, maybe it wouldn't look exactly like the Occupy uh, meetings. I don't, if you've ever seen them, they, they, there's a lot of hand-waving and things like that, um, which maybe wouldn't go down uh, in all Anglican churches uh, very well. Um, but it, we thought, actually, that's a valid point, that we don't talk about these issues very often in church. The most people's experience of talking about money in church is being asked to give it and that therefore there is a conversation to be had there. And so what came out of that was the an idea that now is called a money talk. And a money talk is a facilitated conversation in a church, often during a service or just after a service, to open up a discussion about people's experiences of money, of financial institutions, what are the problems and the challenges that they face, what are the things that, that, would, that could change that would make that better? And what's the role of their church in being involved in that? And for us, it's really important that we started with that because a part of our ethos is that we always start by listening. We never want to go into a church, into a community, and start by, by pointing out what we think the problems are in their area and how they should go about fixing them. We always want to start by listening to that church, to God, and to the community and then go from there really and use the energy and the passion that exists already in the churches to do something. So what came out of that, uh, the, these money talks, and I started uh, running these back in 2012 was when I joined just after the Olympics, um, was really three areas of work that came from the kind of stories that we were hearing. And we were hearing lots of these personal stories that Sir Hector mentioned earlier, harrowing stories of people that had got into financial distress, often caused by, or at least uh, very much helped along by unscrupulous uh, lending. And so obviously the main uh, area that I'm going to talk about is the Credit Champions Network. And really that came from this desire for something better, for a better alternative. The idea that there must be something out there that's better than Wonga. And actually also a desire from people like me who have always banked with the co-op thinking that was our kind of contribution to ethical finance and who just aren't convinced that that's good enough anymore. 
and would like somewhere else to put our money that is slightly more in touch with our values. But that's not the only conversation that was started. Another conversation was started about the actual injustice of the practices of payday lenders, the way that they advertise and target children, use children's colouring pictures, for example, the crazy interest rates and the fact that the UK until next January is really one of the very, very few countries in the world to not have any limit whatsoever on how much you can charge in interest. So the Just Money campaign, which is a Citizens UK campaign, came out of that conversation, and Rosina's going to be speaking about that a little bit later, just after me. But then there's this other conversation, which is the label Trust Finance, and that was about this idea of uh, innovation, that, that yes, there are credit unions that exist that we need to help. There are other community finance providers that already exist that we need to help support. But there's also space here for new things, for new ideas, for new businesses that can meet people's needs in a more ethical way. And we happen to know uh, some people who became very interested in that, particularly a man called Philip Krinks. And he is now setting up a new <coughs> social enterprise called Trust Finance, which CTC is uh, at least partly involved in. So we're not going to talk about that hugely today, but I wanted to lay that out just so you know it's there. And if you're interested particularly in that, then please do uh, come up and see me at some point today, and I'm happy to talk some more about it. So what happened in terms of the Credit Champions Network? Well, we were having these conversations with churches about... How can we better support existing alternatives to, uh, to payday lenders? And then it all kind of kicked off. Uh, Archbishop Justin last summer made his comments about Wonga, and suddenly this was a very different kind of conversation because everyone was looking to the church to, um, to, to see what was going to happen, and people in churches were suddenly hugely fired up by what Archbishop Justin had said to really want to do something about this. And so what we did was we had some conversations with churches and with credit unions and other community finance providers and we realized that there was a coordination problem essentially that in many places there are great partnerships that already existed between churches and credit unions but in most places there weren't and the reason that there weren't is not because either side didn't want to be in relationship with the other but they didn't have the resources the infrastructure to be able to do that individual credit unions didn't have the kind of resources that they would need to engage well with all of the in different individual churches in their area. And individual churches didn't necessarily know or understand how they could best help their local credit union. So what you had was at best kind of slightly mild, mildly productive chaos as churches and credit unions tried to work out how to relate to each other. And so we thought, well, we can do something here. Because we know, we were getting to know the credit unions. And so in London, we thought, well, we know what they need. We know that some of them need more savers. We know that some of them need more borrowers. We know that some of them want access to buildings in the community. Others are desperate for having more volunteers. And we know that no one church is going to provide all of those things. But actually, every church has one of those things or more. Buildings people that want to save money, people that might need to borrow money, people with skills that they might want to volunteer, relationships into the local community with employers and others. So we thought this, there's something really powerful here that could be done to bring these together and help them to work well together. So that's why we created this network, in order to be able to do that. But at the same time as doing that really very practical task, 
We wanted this to be something that would help churches uh, in the way that CTC exists to do, which is to connect their theology with their practice, with their everyday activities. And we thought, actually, on this issue of money, that is hugely important. So what that means is we didn't want to just go into churches and make a kind of pitch for a credit union or community finance more generally. We could have done that, and actually I think we could have, we could have been fairly successful, but it would have been a very short-term way of thinking about it. I think we would have seen a kind of a bit of a spike in credit union membership, but, over the, but it would have faded away, and actually something else would have come along, the new kind of sexy thing for churches to do, and, and, and everybody would have forgotten about this. We thought, actually, there's something much deeper here that needs to be done, which is about helping churches to reflect on their own tradition, what the Bible and what God has to say about money and how it should and shouldn't be used, and then think, what does that look like in our own context today? And that's the process that we wanted to help churches to do. And, and then we also, it's fair to say, we didn't want to shoehorn that into one particular solution. As Sir Hector says, there's a range of things that churches can do on this issue, not just working with a credit local credit union, but also run a money management course, uh, set up a new debt advice centre or support an existing one, be involved in the educational piece. This problem is, is so big and so complex, it needs a holistic solution. And actually, the church is one of the very few institutions that is actually willing to look at problems in that kind of holistic way and able to do something about it. So how does it all work practically? Well, we're part of the Archbishop's task group, but having said that, we are absolutely open to all churches. So if you know of churches from other denominations in your area that you think are interested in this issue, we'd love to... Uh, to work with them. I'm able to do everything from a five-minute uh, sermon in, in, in an Anglican church all the way through to, you know, when I ask the Pentecostal pastor, how long would you like me to speak for? He says, oh, if you could aim for an hour, that would be good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, that's when I do go into the family history, just to, just to pass the time. Um, and we are piloting this uh, because, as the as said, this is a learning process for us as well. We want to find out what works and what doesn't work. So we're piloting it in London, and we started in April of this year, and that means London and Southwark Diocese, and also in Liverpool, starting very soon. Um, and the idea is that we'll, we'll work in those areas for two years, and then we'll, we'll think about what the lessons are and think about how to roll out that out more widely. And what we're doing is we're building up, as we go, a more and more detailed picture of what the existing provision looks like and therefore what are the examples of best practice but also where are the gaps that we might want to think about filling. So, so how does this work? What does it look like for a church to engage with the network? Well there are four steps um, that are involved. The first one is to connect and that's very simple. That just means having a conversation with someone who works uh, for the network. So we are as we speak, connecting, or as I speak, uh, and hopefully as you will speak soon, connecting, finding out what the network is and thinking about what would it look like for your church to take the next step. And the next step is to listen. As I said, we don't want just people to have people just rushing into action without reflecting and listening to the needs of their community and what God is saying. And then there's a piece about learning before we get into action. I'll go into each of those. So the listening bit, there's two tools that we use here. I've already mentioned the money talks, and, um, and depending on exactly where you are, we might well be able to come and actually 
be there and facilitate your church running a money talk. But before that, um, or after that potentially, you might want to think about running the Seeing Change course. You should have been able to pick up a leader's guide to the Seeing Change course on the table outside. If you haven't, then please do before you go today. This is a three-session Bible study course that looks at the story of Nehemiah, which we've found to be an excellent way into this conversation for people. And it tackles, in a way, it's one step removed from the money issue. It looks at the, the question of rebuilding and what does it look like for churches to be engaging with their communities at a time when we're thinking as a country about rebuilding from the financial crisis, from the problems that we see in our society. But we've made some videos that are a kind of modern day take on Nehemiah. And in those videos, there's a, the kind of the issue that he particularly focuses on is this one of uh, payday lending. And actually, um, one of Graham's parishioners is, uh, is, who was asking the question earlier is a star in our video, Colleen. Um, so it's worth it just to see her. Um, and, and so this is designed as a course that could be used in a in small group setting, um, our home groups or whatever your church might have. Um, and we're thinking particularly at the moment about how we might um, adapt that so it can be used in Lent. So we might add a fourth session and then the fifth session would be running a money talk. So it's designed to, to lead on to some practical action. So it's not just thinking and praying and then nothing happens. Um, so that's what we're thinking, thinking through at the moment. So if you're interested in, in that and in running the course for Lent, then do, do come and, uh, and let me know. The videos for that course are available on our website, which I'll show you at the end. So do go on the website, have a look at the videos and think about whether it might work uh, for your congregation. The learning bit. I'm not going to go into this in a huge amount of detail um, because I don't think time will allow for it. But this is the kind of, when we say learn, we're not trying to make people financial experts. What we're trying to do is help people to break down what is often quite a complex problem and to be able to see what the next step for them and their church might be. And this is the kind of thing that we use to help people to do that, to break down some of the problems that people identify in the money talks, which often fall into these three main categories, money management and culture, financial services, and the kind of uh, what people have access to in terms of uh, uh, money services, and then debt and what happens to people when they get stuck in debt. And the, the beauty of it is actually when you start to break it down like this, when you think, oh, money problems, what on earth can my church do about, about that? It's all about the economy and, um, and, and economics, and I'm not qualified to do anything about that. Actually, when you break it down like this, there are some very simple, very practical things that any church could do, whether that's in terms of uh, finding out about local debt advice provision and being able to signpost people to that if they come to you uh, in need of that, whether it's running a money management course, which you can pick up basically off the shelf, or whether it's just finding out about your local credit union uh, and getting involved with them. So that's the kind of thing that happens. We run training sessions in different areas. Um, usually after a number of churches in that area have done a money talk, we bring them together. So we, have, we had one uh, in Hackney where we'd, we'd had a number of different money talks and then we brought the churches together with the local credit union coming along so that people could find out what is this organisation, what are the options for what we can do, and then make a decision on that basis about what they want to do going forwards. 
And we've seen a whole variety of things come out of that process in terms of action, whether it's new money management courses, uh, new debt advice centres, churches providing uh, trustees, volunteers for credit unions, um, churches uh, starting to link credit unions with local employers. That's one of the points when people think about this quite, this, this quite tricky question of, well, credit unions need to lend, need people to borrow money as well as save it, and how do we feel about promoting that? Actually, one way around that question is to, is to try and link credit unions with local employers, because what they can do is something called a payroll savings deduction scheme, where people can save into the credit union directly through their payroll, and then that gives them access to loans from the credit union, usually at cheaper rates than you could find anywhere else. Because if you, could, if you pay your loan back through your payroll, then the risk of default is really very low. So the credit unions love it because it gives them people that they can lend to safely. The employers love it because it's a free benefit to their employees, it doesn't cost them anything. And it's great for the employees. If you think, for example, about a local hospital, which is going to have a huge range of people on, 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 in terms of income scale and financial needs. So if, you could ha if, if the hospital could offer that scheme to its employees, they can help to develop their savings, whether they're you know surgeon or, or nurse or cleaning staff. And then if something comes up they need to borrow money, um, they've got a place to do it safely and affordably. So that's something we found to be quite successful. But we've also seen churches want to use their buildings as community banks, um, and sometimes that means just offering the credit union services, having volunteers trained to do that. Sometimes, actually, it means more than that. They have the credit union, but they also have, they bring in the local citizens advice bureau or other kind of debt advice. They bring in other local services so that they're able to offer a holistic service to people. People come in and they sit down with someone, have a cup of tea. They think about, well, what are you here for today? What do you need? And then they're able to kind of triage people to exactly what they, what they need. I think that's a really exciting model that we're seeing um, being piloted in a few places. And then the other thing people are doing is just raising awareness, having kind of membership drives. They're getting Hackney, they've, they've started a campaign called 500 for Hackney, trying to find 500 new members for the credit union over the next year. And that just gives people a focal point, something to focus on that's tangible, that allows everyone to pull in one direction and actually gives us a story to tell as well to the local press, sometimes even the national or international press who are very interested in all this, these questions, a good news story about the impact of local churches. So what does this look like in practice? Well, this is some of our actions, Credit Champions actions. This was in South London in Peckham. We did this alongside South London citizens. This is where we signed up uh, about 137 people to the local credit union in uh, Southwark. That was that going on. You notice the excellent trousers of the, of the vicar there. <laughs> That's London Mutual Credit Union. And this was in Hackney recently where we did something very similar. We had another 130 odd people um, signing up. We had about a dozen churches involved in that. And they all, it was a very cathartic experience. We all walked together with our 130 application forms down the high street, past all the payday lenders and the betting shops. In fact, we went flyering for the local credit union into some of those shops and then got to hand it in on mass. And this is Sir Hector congratulating Reverend Rosamia Brown, who's been a real uh, leader on this. That's her handing over the forms to the credit union. And that's us chatting to people in the street. So, next steps. What does this look like? Well, if you're in London Diocese and you're interested in getting involved in this, then I'm your man. 
uh, and that's my email address, my phone number, or you can come and speak to me uh, today. If you are in uh, Southwark Diocese, then my colleague uh, Theo is the person that you need to speak to, and that's her contact details there. We've got plans to roll this out more widely for this to become a national initiative, which I'm happy to, uh, to talk to people about if they're particularly interested in that. And then just to say, so Hector mentioned this website, toyourcredit.org.uk, is a really excellent resource that's got lots of stuff about the Credit Champions Network, and that's our website as well. So that's all from me, and now we're going to hear a little bit from Rosina about the Just Money campaign, and then we'll have questions on both Credit Champions and Just Money. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my name is Rosina St. James. Um, just a little bit of about me, so you kind of know who I am. I live in the best borough in London. Um, some of you may recognise what the borough is, just by the picture in the corner. Anyone know where it is? Yes, Croydon is the best borough in London. I've lived there for the last uh, 24 years of my life. Uh, one of the reasons why it's the best, it's uh, just got such a huge diversity um, of culture, of different people, um, and it gave me a lot of the inspiration that I have today. So um, I went to a school in Croydon that was known to be quite underachieving. Uh, the statistics now for the school say that 35% of the people in this uh, school get uh, five A to C's, which is quite low. Um, but in that time, it really encouraged me to actually step out and encourage the people around me, particularly those who, um, particularly the girls who had ambition to become a doctor, a, a priest. Um, um, they had ambition to go further, but they couldn't step out of their comfort zones, um, which then led me on to start up an organisation um, called The Inner Attitude, which works with girls to develop self-esteem and confidence. And since then, I've always kind of stayed within the youth sector industry, so I've dedicated kind of 10 years of my life to working with young people, uh, a, a trustee for V Inspired National Youth Agency and so forth attached to it. Uh, so how did I end up on the Buxton Leadership Programme? Well that's an interesting story even in itself. Uh, I had graduated from university, as most graduates leave university they're a little bit like, what do I do next? With my life, you're kind of sitting on the edge. Uh, looking around, your parents is looking at you like, okay, get a job. Um, but I stumbled over the Buxton Leadership Program via um, somebody who was actually on it. Um, I used to uh, do some work with uh, London citizens called the Money Mentoring Program, um, and that helps to train. Uh, un it took undergraduates from university to go into schools, into colleges, to teach them about budgeting and to teach them the difference between APR and AER, uh, which was quite interesting that a lot of people were like, aren't they the same thing? I was like, no, something completely different. Um, so I then uh, got introduced to Sarah um, and now the rest is history. So the Buxton Leadership Programme, what, what does it look like? So it aims to develop a new generation of Christian leaders uh, who seek to bring 
the experience of inner city communities into a dialogue with Westminster. Um, it's a year-long programme um, and it combines three particular different elements. So working in Westminster, i.e. Parliament, and doing a church-based community <coughs> organising programme. Um, and it also offers you uh, training and development programmes, which we do uh, once a month. Uh, so this time round, I, uh, my first place, uh, placement is in the Conservative Christian Fellowship. Here I am a project manager working mainly on a programme called Listening to Britain's Churches. So I have been tasked to uh, deliver 15 programmes before the 30th of March across the UK, which is quite a big remit as you can imagine. And the second placement is at... Uh, uh, St Matthew's in Brixton. Um, if some of you know Brixton, there's that beautiful church right in the middle of Brixton. It's a very, very vibrant congregation, as you can see from the picture from our St Matthew's Day. We took that picture just outside the church. Okay, um, so to kind of go forward with this, most of the stuff that I'm going to say, as I've only been in this placement for the last three months, um, I've kind of been given what I should say. So David, I'm sure, will help me out a little bit later with the questions, um, as I may not know them. So to really understand what Just Money is, you have to understand what Citizens UK is, um, because Just Money is a Citizens UK campaign that CTC helps with. So what is Citizens UK, you ask? Citizens UK brings together churches, mosques, synagogues, schools and different institutions to work together for the common good. Citizens develop the develops the capacity of its members to build power locally so that they can hold politicians to account and other decision makers. They work on a range of issues from small local campaigns such as a campaign that's currently happening within Brixton at the moment where we've got uh, an estate which needs lighting. Uh, so what they did, they brought a candle, they took pictures and they put a candle in the middle of the picture and presented them to the local council to show different dark spots within the estate. As you can imagine at the moment it's getting really dark and people are worried about their safety because there's no street lighting. So that's a local campaign that's currently happening to larger campaigns such as this one, Just Money. So the Just Money campaign really started back in 2009 in the aftermath of the economic crash when citizens did a large-scale listening campaign to try and find out what the effects of the crash were on ordinary people. What they heard was lots of stories of debts, often at times caused by very high credit cards rates and fees. And so citizens began to call began to call for a cap on the cost of credit. In fact, Angus Ritchie, who is sitting here in front of us, our director of the CTC, was involved in, our, was involved in the action that took place near the headquarters of the Royal Bank of Scotland, as you can see from the picture, uh, where he presented the bank with a Bible alongside the rabbi um, and the Iman who presented their holy books. The point was to show that the banks didn't exist in a moral vacuum 
and that they might therefore have something to learn from the major faith traditions on how money should or shouldn't be used. The proposal to the cap of the cost of credit made it as far as the citizens general election campaign in 2010 when it was put to all three major leaders. Unfortunately, only Gordon Brown said yes. The campaign carried on, but it, um, it sadly lost its momentum. So it wasn't until 2012 and CTC renewed their involvement with Money Talks and then it really took off. When the Money Talks when we started doing our money talks, many stories of payday lenders and many stories of payday lenders were being spoken about. There were loads of people who were trapped in spirals of debt. In particular, we focused on two different areas. So this was in terms of the crazy interest rates. So we found that sometimes these crazy interest rates were at 12,000% of APR. Clearly, from the reactions of the room, people aren't able to pay 12,000% APR. And these payday lending loaners encouraged people to continually roll back their loans. So they found that these people weren't actually able to ever pay back these loans. They were ended up being in this spiral of continual debt. So we did some research and found that countries like Canada had a cap on the cost of credit and on a limit on the numbers of rollovers and yet payday lending still existed in Canada and so therefore made a point that you could still make profit. We then learned that money sh the Money Shop is one of, those that one of those companies that operated in Canada under the name of Money Mart. And finally, we learned that there is such a thing as Canada Day on the 1st of July, as you will see. So we were all set. We had our Canadian flags. We dressed up. We headed out to a number of different money shops in London and Nottingham. We had already asked money shops, the money shop for a meeting. But when they had heard that the press were involved, they quickly decided to have the meeting. Our argument to them was that we wanted stricter regulations coming to the UK and that seeing as Canada already operated in this, they themselves should adopt this policy. Unfortunately, they didn't agree with our analysis and so refused all our requests. I wonder how they're feeling about the decision now that the FCA has cracked down on it and it looks like the money shop may just be out of business. We did tell them. <laughs> what we learned from this experience was that we didn't have the power to compel payday lenders to change their behaviour. And we focused on more local and winnable targets, getting local councils to ban pay, payday loans adverts for public billboards and shelters. 
Again, we did our research and we learned that local authorities have thresholds for, for petitions so that if we get over a certain number of signatures, the council have to consider it have to consider a full meeting on this. So we collected signatures in our institutions until we passed a threshold in Lambeth, Tower Hamlets, and Hackney, and Newham. And then we went to our council and handed in these petitions. Sometimes of a bit of a show, so in here you can kind of see Santa briefly in the corner, with um, given these signatures over to the council. These local actions, became part of a growing wave of media press pressure on public on payday lenders, which eventually combined with some strategic work in the House of Lords that, uh, that the Archbishop was involved in, and the result was the government's U-turn in capping the cost of credit, which will now happen from January, which is a victory for us. So after six years of citizens starting to call for it, we will have our cap. But as, but as well as sparkling national change, we also found that our petition led to some interesting local alliances. So in Lambeth, where I work, the council have already started a financial resilience strategy. But their problem is they didn't really know how to engage with civil society or organisations to make this strategy into reality. So my predecessor in Lambeth, Selina, managed to win us a place on the table with Lambeth, Council, with Lambeth citizens to shape our strategy. So at the moment I've taken over from Selina, um, some of the biggest things that we found is that uh, some clergy in Lambeth, so um, Rosemary from St John's Angel Town, she's now set up a debt advice um, station within her church. There has now been people who've made uh, public declarations that they will support credit unions even within their churches. Uh, we've also now, even tonight, we're going to have a meeting on Just Money to potentially do an action on Speedy Cash. Um, so I'm not sure if you've seen with Speedy Cash, they've got um, a, a new advertising campaign that says, you are not alone. Um, uh, so which is terrible in itself. Um, and they are still using, I'm not sure if uh, some of you have seen, oh, I think I've missed it, that they're using um, the teddy bears to advertise, to, to get, um, they're using teddy bears to talk to the kids and they're giving them little colouring pictures so that they can take it home and draw and colour all over it and then uh, parents will end up having these payday um, advertising uh, bits of paper all over their house and you never know what could happen after that, uh, which is completely unethical. So in Lambeth we're really trying to push that forward with various different actions. But now again, we are preparing to bring our local Just Money groups together and focus on the national picture. Because Just Money campaign is one of the four top priorities in Citizens UK General Election Manifesto. So on the 2nd of May, the major party leaders will again be presented with a Just Money proposal and asked to respond. 
And this time, our proposals could be even more significant than capping the cost of credit. It is half of the fines collected by the Financial Conduct Authority from banks and payday lenders, and using that money to endow a community finance fund that would support and champion the community credit, including credit unions in the UK. David, who we heard speak earlier, can talk much more about this in detail if you're interested. But we think that it has the potential to revolutionise community finance in the UK and provide a huge boost to all the local work that churches are doing on this in the area. So what are the lessons that you can take away to your churches or to your deaneries? Well, the first is to bite off something that is winnable. It needs to be a winnable issue based on the potential power of your alliances after a process of listening to find out what the problems are. The second thing you could do is the importance of public action in developing people's leadership and belief that they can make a difference. And the third thing that you can do is mainly go out, do an action and have fun.